The Unshackled Waves, Episode 72. Shackled Waves podcast. I'm Tim Wilms here for this week's review episode, and I'm joined once again by my co editor in chief of The Unshackled, Sukhith Fernando. Welcome again. Thanks, Tim, and hello, everyone. Now, some good news the new studio has now been fitted, so there'll be no more echoes during the podcast. So everything is uh, back to normal, and we'll be able to bring you uh, a lot more episodes, which, which is exciting. Uh, The news of the week in Australian politics was that the New South Wales Liberal Party, they passed what was called the Warringah Motion, which was spearheaded by uh, former Prime Minister Tony Abbott to allow for that state to pre-select candidates via uh, plebiscite of members. Uh, It's an important reform to make sure that the Liberal Party allows its grassroots members to have a greater say and it will stop people or slow down the disillusionment some conservatives have with the party who are going over to One Nation and uh, Australian Conservatives. Uh, Labor leader Bill Shorten, he launched his war on inequality uh, last week. Uh, his election agenda seems to be to be to tax our way to prosperity and uh, spend uh, as much as possible, which is quite concerning. Uh, Donald Trump also celebrated uh, the first six months of his presidency. He's done the best he can under the circumstances. He's still being thwarted, uh, not just by Democrats, but by members of his own party. There's uh, still more to be done. Also, the uh, what's been in the news the last well, few months, I'd say, is the, the leftist AFL is pretty much now out, out of control. Every round now appears to be a social justice round. Last week it was gay pride round, and now this week it's multicultural round. And let's not forget all the various uh, scandals that it's had with its uh, executives uh, playing up. But we'll start with the uh, New South Wales... Liberal Party reform. So the state Liberals in New South Wales, they had their state conference. So it was called the Warringah Motion. It passed, but it still has to be ratified by Liberal Party State Council. This is all very confusing. There's a conference and a council. If you're not in the Liberal Party, it's all very difficult to know what everything's called. But at the moment, uh, pre-selections are decided by a delegate system, which basically means it's the factional power brokers which decide who are the candidates. And at the moment, it's the left of the Liberal Party which uh, has control, which is why Liberal Party is losing a lot of Conservatives uh, in that state. So it's definitely a needed reform and actually brings New South Wales into line with the, the rest of the state Liberal Parties. Yeah, I think um, I actually like this reform because I think it's it reflects, I think, the, the sort of populist trend I think we've been seeing for quite, quite some time over the past few years. So I think you know, Tony Abbott was on the side um, where they were fighting for the for the plebiscite. And it's funny, it's interesting because um, the right, the conservative faction was towards, they, they supported the plebiscite and the actual left faction, they they opposed the plebiscite. Um, I thought that was quite interesting um, considering how, you know, people usually have the impression that it's the other way around for some reason, but it's not. You know, Tony Abbott was welcoming of the change and I'm welcoming of this change because I think um, the Liberal Party sort of has had this sort of reputation or an image where it looks like some 
you know, you know, a sort of a very exclusive sort of, um, you know, club for people. Um, and I think that has resulted in one way or another, has resulted over the ages, um, you know, sort of estranged the party from particular demographics. Um, you know, I, I understand that the left faction has been doing that recently. Malcolm Turnbull has done more for the estrangement than that particular aspect of their reputation. But that's more of a recent thing. This is more of an, something that has happened over the ages. And I think this change is, is good in the sense that it can help them appeal to um, the, the general public and sort of, you know, get appeal to people who are who wouldn't generally vote for the liberals i mean let's have a look at you know, some of the uh, mps that the the current new south wales factional system has helped elect i mean uh trent zimmerman in north sydney he was uh put there by factional deal the just recent north shore by election uh with uh her name's felicity wilson she she doesn't know where she went to university or where she lived or what electorate she's voted in she's pretty clueless yeah, I think you know that, that's just one sort of that's 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 the consequence you get from having a an overly sort of authoritarian you know uh, procedure to getting people you know the the, the 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 faction that is in control that now is a left wing faction they can choose whoever they want um, to actually get into the party without many without much of a contribution from other people in the party so you know allowing a plebiscite hopefully can actually get solve these problems where they choose whoever they want and can actually take people who, you know, are competent, um, are, you know, instead of do, doing the thing that's been happening right, or continuing on with what's happening right now, and just taking in people who are, you know, socially progressive, who think, who they think will be able to appeal to, um, you know, the majority of Australians because they have a flawed perception of what Australia is. They think it's socially progressive, but there are many people who are conservative. So let's hope that this website will, um, you know, let them choose the proper suitable candidates in the future. Uh, and yeah, the state council. I think they'd be they'd have a real nerve to vote it down, especially since it was it was yeah. carried overwhelmingly at the conference. It was, yeah, it was. Um, you know, if, if, I think it was. Um, it was. Six, I think it was sixty one percent who did vote in the first. Who was voted for it in the first motion? I think it was. Um, and the, and you know, if they did, if they did sort of you know repeal it or they 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 don't let it happen, then I think it's going to result in some sort of backlash. I know Ross Cameron was quite vocal about this entire um, episode right now. He was saying that you know the party is meant to be for the people, and you know if if the left faction are going to prevent the people from having any influence on the party, and are just going to keep being um, sort of these these exclusive um, people, exclusive elite, you know, culturally elite people who sort of are unable to appeal to the rest of Australians, you know, Cameron said that that's going to result in the party further going backwards. Um, and hopefully the state council actually does something that is um, constructive and, you know, actually lets this thing pass on. Well, the, the reasons that are given uh, against uh, these reforms, well, the, or should I say the official reasons, is that uh, having plebiscites that leads to uh, branch stacking and more extreme candidates, and they point to what's happening in my state uh, of Victoria, where um, Marcus Bastian, one of the, the up-and-coming Liberal Party members, has recruited a whole lot of uh, new conservatives to the party and people have accused him of branch stacking and bringing in uh, extreme candidates. But I actually, you know, like more extreme candidates. I, th I think that's good because at least they, you know, stand for something. Yeah, I think um, 
I obviously like having more conservative candidates. I mean, the Liberal Party is meant to be a conservative party. So, you know, having extreme candidates is a good thing in today's context. Um, but you know, I think um, for Victoria, I guess it's a bit of a different story. I mean, I'm just hoping in New South Wales, where the party has been described as a gay club by some people, um, you know, or some, you know, as I mentioned, some sort of exclusive in a city sort of leftist club where you know, they're strange from everyone else. Um, you know, I think, I hope this change does bring a more, um, a more fair element. You know, I think the left has been able to, in the party, the left faction in the party has been able to take advantage of this, the formal procedure and sort of take in anyone they want. And I hope this procedure can help them to actually, um, you know, allow other members of the party, other right-wing members who probably don't have a voice um, to actually influence who they take in as candidates in the next election and hopefully help the party survive in the future. When people say extreme candidates, they mean that candidates that they don't like or that the media doesn't yeah. like. Exactly. That's the thing. You know, that's why we like having those candidates because those candidates are the proper candidates. It's just given the context right now, they are you know the extreme ones. Um, and you know, I think um, since as you mentioned the media as well, you know, since the media is also powerful, I think that is also a major factor that influences these leftist, um, you know, these leftist sort of elites within the party to take in people who, who think who they think are socially progressive or, you know, socially um, liberal or whatever, um, and, you know, well, small and liberal or whatever. And I think, you know, if they do have this, this more democratic procedure, this plebiscite procedure, then I think, you know, they can ignore the media and sort of prevent the media from indirectly sort of influencing and infiltrating into this into the system and actually make a more um, logical and a more democratic decision as to who gets into the party. I mean, part of the reason why Trump could never happen in Australia is because we don't have a primary system like the, the United States does. I yeah. mean, the American system, it's completely democratic, not just the presidential uh, contest, but also all the, the House, Senate, Governor, it's all decided by the, or, uh, uh, they're not called members in the United States, they're called uh, people who are registered with the, the party. And I, I think that's good because at least you're getting people who, you know, are standing for something. Like I think the United States is much better off that they selected, you know, somebody, you know, as brave as Trump rather than just, you know, going with uh, a status quo, boring, middle-of-the-road politician. Yeah, and that's why um, a more democratic system can actually allow their, you know, the, the silent majority not just in Australian society, but within the Liberal Party itself to actually have influence in bringing in more Trump-like figures into it. You know, remember that um, Trump won, one major reason Trump won is because he wasn't just, you know, anti-establishment, he was still part of a major party. So he was automatically going to get, you know, lots of votes from um, a large percentage of the American people. You know, the thing is, in contrast, people like Pauline Hansen or, you know, Marine Le Pen in France or whatever, they are still part of minor parties um, and it's still harder for them to get votes because they are minor parties. The major parties automatically do get votes from lots of people um, and Trump was able to do that. Um, if Trump was in a minor party, he might not even have won in many ways and that's something we need to look at. So I think um, having this system may allow people like Trump to get into the Liberal Party and then they could use the, or the foundation the party already has uh, and the support it already has to actually you know, expand itself and maybe appeal to more people and then the chances of having a Trump-like figure in Australia as Prime Minister will be increased that way.
And I also want the same sort of democratic system to apply to left-wing parties as well. I mean, even though yeah. I disagree yeah. with uh, Jeremy Corbyn on a lot of issues, like I still think it's better that the uh, UK Labour members were able to select him uh, as the leader over the will of their uh, par uh, the party room, who you know were overwhelmingly you know middle middle of the road. So and if the Democratic primaries weren't rigged in favour of Hillary, they would have, you know, got uh, an actual, you know, person in Bernie Sanders who, you know, stood for values rather than, you know, somebody as, you know, corrupt as Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, th the thing is, we do have in the Labour Party, we, the Labour Party still has many social conservative members. Um, I mean, the Labour right is still a pretty conservative. There are m people who are very conservative in the Labour right. Um, just economically, they are more left-wing, I get that. But socially, culturally, they are still very right-wing in many ways. Um, you know, and I think it's important to give them a voice as well. Uh, it's going to be beneficial for us in the right as well if they do get more socially conservative people in the opposing party. Um, you know, win-win for us. Um, but, you know, I think it's funny because it's funny how Labour in the UK, um, I was from Australia before, it, funny how Labour in the UK actually have a non-democratic system. They pretend to be social democrats, they pretend to be proponents of democracy, but within their own party, they don't have a democratic system. You know, I think that's that's one that that's one major sort of um, one major piece of evidence that shows that they are hypocrites ultimately. Um, so you know, I think. If they do have the system, it's, it's all better for them as well, and it's going to be much more fairer for them as well. Well, let's turn to talking about well, the Australian Labour Party, I should say. Now, Bill Shorten, he gave a speech to an economic forum on Friday vowing to make uh, inequality the, the centrepiece of his uh, election campaign. And there's also the discussion this week that the Labour Party wants to target uh, family trusts and uh, tax them more because they're used by, you know, rich, greedy people to, to hide money. And add to this, I mean, they've obviously already announced their uh, pol uh, policy uh, reversing negative gearing and also re uh, reversing the the company tax cuts and restoring penalty rates. So they're going with a you know very uh, left wing economic agenda, and they clearly think that the electorate is you know rece receptive to such a message in the the current economic conditions. Yeah, I think, um, well, with regards to that last part, I think there are, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately for us, unfortunately for this country, there are people who think this, you know, this this current system, current capitalist system doesn't work and we need, you know, a, a more socialist system and labour is there conveniently for them. Um, but, you know, here, here is Bill Shorten running around the country telling, you know, telling all these inner city, these economists, okay, telling them that, um, you know, inequalities are a problem. I'm pretty sure those economists I'm hoping, I'm hoping those economists were disagreeing with him. You know, he was saying inequalities were a problem and that it's resulting in, well, it's leading to a disruption in social cohesion, disruption in economic growth. Um, it's funny because, you know, when you actually go against this natural, you know, this natural sort of aspect of inequality, inequalities are, an, are a natural thing. And when you go against that, you know, you actually end up making things worse. I mean, the people in Russia, people in China, people in Venezuela, they found out the hard way. So, you know, here's Bill Shorten ignoring all that evidence, you know, tricking people into voting for him, running around the country saying that, you know, we had to get rid of inequalities. That's just code word for, you know, we need to increase tax on the rich, take more money from people forcefully and increase spending. 
you know, this is completely an immoral. And, you know, he's a hypocrite ultimately as well when you consider the fact that he isn't complaining about, you know, the ABC salaries that are $900,000 a year. Um, you know, hypocrit hypocritical, immoral. I'm hoping this person does not become PM next, um, next election. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Bill Shorten's policies are the road to uh, economic ruin. I mean, you don't, you know, t t uh, tax your way to prosperity. No nation uh, has, has ever done that. I mean, uh, the reason why we're in this current economic situation is because not because all the rich people are hoarding, you know, all the money and that all we need is, you know, Bill Shorten to, you know, take it and, you know, give it to, you know, all the, the, the poor people. I mean, if Labor actually wants to address the, the real issues, in the economy, um, you know, they should obviously reverse the climate policies that, you know, their 50% renewable energy target. I mean, that's seen the, the manufacturing sector leave Australia uh, yeah. and in, you know, uh, the state of South Australia, it's even worse. I mean, it's pushed up the cost of living. I mean, power prices keep on going up, which also increases, you know, the, the cost of living for all products. So maybe if, if Bill Shorten's worried about the poor, he should, you know, stop increasing their, their cost of living. I mean, it's their regulations that resulted in, you know, people leaving this country in the first place. You know, thousands of people lost their jobs thanks to their regulations, thanks to their, you know, economic blunders. And here he is, you know, again, taking us for a joke, saying, you know, we need to continue doing the thing we, we've been doing for a while, um, continue doing the thing that's resulted in all this economic downfall, in, in this economic stack, well, not, I wouldn't say stagnation, because Australia is doing relatively well compared to other countries, but it's economic turbulence. Um, you know, who, does he think we are dumb, or does he think that, you know, we, are, we can generally be persuaded, you know, because... If you one look at the past, you know, one look at history, and you will see that these policies do not work. And it doesn't matter. You, you, it doesn't even matter if they don't work or not. It's immoral. I mean, he's saying that we need to take more money from people. The, that's money people earned themselves. They worked hard. They earned themselves. They took the risk, um, or well, they either worked hard or took the risk, and they they made that money themselves. And here is a Labour prime minister, a socialist, telling these people that you know your money doesn't belong to you. Your money belongs to us and to other poor people, and we will take your money whenever we want and give it to others. Um, all the while, you know, he's ignoring the taxpayer-funded salaries at the ABC, nine hundred thousand dollars or ignoring other things like, um, I, I, it was the um, the Australia Post CEO's, I think it was $4.2 million, I think it was, or in total. It with was the close to $5 as well. million. That was ridiculous. Yes, yeah, so four point, so four to five million dollars, including bonuses, um, to the CEO of Australia Post, the former CEO. You know, ignoring all that, but he is talking about inequalities inside this Melbourne, uh, it's called the Melbourne Institute. Um, I just don't understand. I, I'm, I hope people can see through him and see him for what it is as a hypocrite. Uh, and uh, there was a. Quite an interesting article um, uh, published last week in the Australian fin Financial Review warning about, uh, as he called yeah. it, uh, McManistan, which of course, yeah. if Bill Shorten becomes Prime Minister, Sally McManus, the new head of the ACTU, and arguably one of Australia's newest regressives, there's, there's quite yeah. a lot of them. I mean, she'd be the puppet master pulling the strings, getting, uh, you know, empowering the unions to, you know, carry out their, you know, criminal and thuggish behaviour and really, you know, putting the 
the the foot on the neck of you know corporations and really you know hindering their you know ability to try and do business in Australia. And what was really scary about the reaction to that article was that McManistan was uh, trending on Twitter uh, with all these lefties saying, "Yeah, that would be like the the greatest country on earth to live in." Yeah, I'm pretty sure eating your own pets is the greatest country or is the greatest lifestyle you could ever have. People in Venezuela are they are eating their own pets. They must they must actually go to Colombia. They must illegally enter Colombia and go to the grocery stores there to buy their food for cheaper than Venezuela. Um, you know, it's funny because in those countries, you know, the the you know you you wait for the bread in those countries. In these countries, the bread wait for you so you know if you want to it's your choice do you want to have do you want to wait for the bread or do you want the bread to wait for you um because you know we already have a country with one of the highest living standards um one of the freest economies in the world and here you are saying that we need to become a venezuela that that is completely i think i find that quite insulting um you're you're telling people that you need to become poor because you're jealous and you're insecure about seeing rich people and that's just I think that's quite immoral and that just says everything about the left there is to say yeah uh, certainly I mean it's still uh, t- uh, two years away until the the next federal election and this is already what Bill Shorten's come up with on economics yeah. <laughs> who knows what else is there the policies look like they're just going to get worse it does and I think I ultimately I ultimately babe Malcolm Turnbull for all of this um you might you might say i'm being unjust but you know i think if he was a bit smarter and he if he was um you know more if he if he didn't orchestrate this entire left wing drift of the liberal party if he wasn't doing any of that he might actually be able to appeal to lots of people but thanks to his blunders people might actually start to appeal to start to support the labor party because we have seen people saying that you know labor must win if if the liberals are to fix itself you know labor needs to win well you can't because you know you're going to have four years of labor in in this country you see what's happening in victoria right now so you know i do blame malcolm's you know uh, incompetence in re- that that's resulted in this newfound support for labor Okay, so let's move on uh, to talk about uh, Donald Trump's first six months in the the presidency. So uh, I feel that Trump, he's done all that he can within the power of the the presidency through executive order. I mean, uh, he he was able to, uh, during his first month, uh, you know, implement the uh, travel ban from uh, eight uh, Muslim-majority countries which had uh, a history of Islamic terrorism and links to extremism. It, it, It was knocked back by various courts, but luckily the Supreme Court eventually allowed it. He withdrew from the Trans-Pacific Partnership and more recently got out of the Paris uh, Climate Accord. Um, So when he's got the power to do something, he's made sure that he's been good on his promises. But where he's really hit a roadblock is in Congress, where despite the Republicans having the majority in the House and the Senate, he still can't get his legislative agenda through. Yeah, I think the executive orders um, have been one of the greatest tools he has. I think Twitter was the other tool he's used because he's able to, he was able to bypass the, the mainstream media and you know post his own things and you know tell the truth his 
you know, tell the truth without having the major media do it for him. Um, that was one tool. I think this other tool was, as you mentioned, the executive orders. Um, because if he chose to do it the normal way and, you know, actually use Congress, then many of these things wouldn't even have happened. Um, you know, he was able to deliver on his promises thanks to those executive, executive orders. Yes, we understand that, you know, once, um, well, more than once, uh, various courts actually blocked his travel ban, but thankfully the Supreme Court um, allowed the travel ban in in one way or another, not completely, but you know he, it allowed a limited version of the travel ban. Um, but you know the executive orders have allowed him to get get those policies out, and you know actually make help make America great again ultimately. Um, you know there have been blunders, as you mentioned, with the um, with with Obamacare, for example. You know the the Republicans and the Democrats. Have you know for for, for for some reason Republicans have supported them in keeping Obamacare out? Well, yeah. keeping the, keeping any change out. The second repeal bill just uh, failed in the Senate, and it's basically yeah. because it's it's fifty two forty eight in the Senate, and I stole this from another uh, commentator. I said like there's two basically like left wing Republicans in Susan Collins and uh, Lisa Murkowski who don't like Trump and have whatever excuse they want to not vote against him. So it only takes, you know, one other Republican to like, you know, virtue signal and grandstand to say that, oh, this bill isn't perfect. You know, I wanted this, so I'm going to, you know, vote against it, to, you know, basically because they want to puff up their own profile and, you know, make Trump, you know, look look bad. And so, you know, he's basically, it basically only takes three Republicans to basically ruin the, the whole agenda. And you know, this is why Trump won. This is what people are sick of. You know, these these career politicians who are there abusing taxpayer money, abusing their positions, and trying to increase their reputation, increase well, try and increase their PR or try and increase their reputation at the expense of what's at what's at the in the best interest of the American people. So they're saying they're telling American people, hey, I'm gonna use this particular moment as my own personal moment of fame and a virtue signal about it. But you know, here you are. You know, you're Americans who will continue, continue to endure the the problems you've been enduring for for, for some time regarding Obamacare. You know, premiums have gone up sometimes by 100 percent, 200 percent in some states. And you know, we are here telling you that you know we want to use this for our own advantage. And I think that is that is why Trump won. That is what people are sick of, and that's what people have been saying all along. You know, he won because these politicians, these establishment politicians, are corrupt, and they do not have our best interests at heart. Um, I hope he can pass this Obamacare law because there are people who are paying what they shouldn't be paying for for their health care, and you know, I think I just hope he can do something about it. And obviously, we're still waiting for construction to begin on the wall. I mean, that yeah. was a big election commitment that he hasn't fulfilled yet, but that will require legislation and appropriation through uh, Congress. Uh, he has uh, uh, you know, put, uh, put out a, uh, basically, uh, most people interpreted it as a, a troll policy to put uh, solar panels on the walls, uh, which would, you know, really uh, trigger the left. 
It would. Um, I do know he started the planning stages already. I think he did start examining the areas for the wall and start. Um, he started the planning um, stages. I, I am sure. Um, I saw it on Fox News um, showing how you know he he was. Well, there were people inspecting those areas um, and drawing the plans. Um, with the solar panels, you know, I am actually quite happy with that. You know, because firstly, because it can troll and it can trigger the um, the lefties. Um, you know, here he, he is he, they, they were marching against Trump on the science march, I think it was. Um, you know, saying things like there are more than two genders, climate science is real, climate change is real, and this president is, you know, the anti-climate. This president is is is, is you know this this villain who's against climate change policy who's who's, who's disavowing these climate science science scientists. I think it's 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 funny because our scientists are saying it's not real, um, but then he, he is saying that we will have a solar pa solar panels fitted to the wall, and I'm I'm hoping it does trigger them. Um, and second, I think it's quite productive as well. You know, if you're going to use a that structure in the desert or in you know in very um sort of temperate areas of America and if you're going to use that for solar panels for, for energy, I think it's going to be quite productive. I'm hoping we, we, we must remember that so renewable energy can can be um, quite regressive and it can result in increased costs as well. So we are hoping that doesn't happen. We must remember that he must keep in mind those factors as well. But I think it's quite nice to see that he's using the wall, not just for protection, but also for other purposes as well. And that's something we expect from this president. On foreign policy, it's been a bit uh, mixed. I mean, he's like obviously ISIS is on the back foot. I mean, they've been pushed yeah. out of uh, Iraq, which is good. the The Syria strike, you know, was disappointing when it happened, but I think the good thing was that Trump, you know, he learned, you know, from the backlash from his supporters that that was wrong, and so he's taken no further action on Syria. Uh, he's, you know, still obviously, you know. Um, being friends with, you know, Saudi Arabia, who spread yeah. Islamic extremism around the world. So that hasn't changed, which is uh, uh, disappointing. But probably, like, the, you know, a most important uh, thing that he's done in foreign policy is, is uh, tried as best he can, given the circumstance, to have friendly relations with Russia. I think, yeah, despite the Russia conspiracies, despite the news stories, the fake news stories that they admitted were fake, um, and despite all that, I think he has tried to, you know, foster good relations with Russia. I think um, in some, it's it's been both ways. In sometimes he has tried to, you know, be, be co to cooperate with them and actually work with them. I know he met with Putin in a very good way, in a friend in a very friendly way, um, con contrast that with Obama, who was just completely stern and completely smug when he met Putin during his presidency. Um, but he has, I think, been quite critical of Russia as well. He has done things, um, maybe for PR purposes, maybe. Um, he has done things that have um, condemned them in some ways. Um, I saw today, for example, there was talk about Russia sanctions, and Trump was involved in that, which I thought was quite, which I thought was quite scary. Um, I'm hoping it's for PR purposes. With regards to Syria, um, I think it's it's interesting because we did see various right-wing people who, including us, who are very um, who who opposed that um, because that's not something we expected from Trump. We expected him to be a bit more a bit more you know rational instead of just choosing to you know strike the, strike this airbase that we didn't even know resulted in th these alleged chemical bombs. Assad kept denying them. Russia kept you know, supporting Assad, but then. The mainstream media loved it. Um, so there was that as well. And with regards to Saudi Arabia, I think that is the biggest 
um, issue I have right now with his, you know, with his continued support for Saudi Arabia. He kept saying that Saudi Arabia was a corrupt state. He kept criticizing them um, during the campaign, during and just before the campaign. And right now, we know that he made a $400 billion arms deal with someone who funds ISIS. I think that's what's scary. And that is the biggest issue I have right now. Um, you know, it's it's a country that, you know, treats people in the most horrendous of ways. Um, and he, he is trying to, you know, foster a relationship with them. I'm not saying we need to intervene in them and change them. I'm saying that it's, we shouldn't, we shouldn't cooperate with those countries. Um, so therefore, I think his Saudi Arabia relationship, I think, is the biggest um, point of concern for me at this stage. Yeah, uh, that's uh, taking on the, the neocons in Washington is, you know, yeah. especially hard because we've seen, yeah. you know, all the, the deep state leaks uh, uh, against Trump. And so clearly that that's a message, you know, you better follow us or, you know, we, we're going to, you know, bring you down. Uh, he has, you know, put up, as you said, put up with all this, you know, fake news uh, about Russia, which has sucked, uh, you know, oxygen. He's got the entire mainstream media against him. And there's always these constant talks about, you know, impeachment, like some betting agencies have got impeachment odds now, which is like you know, ridiculous. So, you know, under the circumstances, done you know quite a quite a lot despite you know he's basically you know whacked every day by you know democrats republicans you know the media the intelligence community everybody yeah we must remember that you know america is has just it's it's i say this constantly america has one party um when it comes to foreign policy they're all neocons um and the entire establishment has been against trump with regards to his foreign policy and i think that's been quite hard um who knows, maybe his deal with Saudi Arabia wasn't his own doing. Maybe he had to do it. Maybe that was something he was forced to do by the by the deep state. We don't know what happens inside that inside the White House. We don't know who, who he has talked to. We don't know who actually controls him. Um, we know CIA is powerful. The FBI is powerful. Um, so it might not have been his own decision. So you must re remember that. Um, but, you know, I think ignoring all that, you know, it was quite disappointing to see this deal um, with Saudi Arabia. And I'm, I'm hoping he continue. I'm hoping he does estrange himself. I was happy in regards to foreign policy. I was happy with his visit to Poland, um, where he continued to reiterate the fact that he was there to revive Western civilization, to, pro to protect people who live in the West from various forces ranging from the left to Islam to terrorism, who are trying to take the trying to take the West down. Um, and he reiterated that in a in front of a war memorial in Poland, quite powerful. And you know, that, that was, I was ha happy with that. Yeah. And Steph, I mean, it's only six months in. I mean, he was elected to a four-year term. So there's still, yeah. if, if he's accomplished all these things in the first six months, then, you know, there's, there's certainly uh, a, lot, a lot more to be done. And he's certainly got the time. Uh, but let's move on to the next topic, which is it's basically my pet peeve. I mean, every week now I seem to write an article for The Unshackled criticising the, the AFL. And the reason I do that is because, you know, I've been a lifelong AFL fan. Uh, at the moment, I'm a long-suffering Brisbane Lions supporter. Um, you know, it's, it's something I've grown up with. Uh, I love Australian rules. And it's, you know, just makes me so angry that the, you know, AFL governing body is just 
during the game through all these, you know, social justice virtue signaling campaigns, basically spending, you know, fans' money, you know, the people who pay the, the tickets and the memberships on all, all of these, you know, social issues. I mean, just last weekend they had their gay pride match between... Uh, Sydney and St Kilda, and this week it's multicultural round, uh, which basically when they say multicultural, it's basically pro-Islam. I mean, I, I've been on the, the AFL multicultural website, there's, you know, like girls with hijabs on it everywhere, and they already promoted Islam through their celebration of Ramadan, the, the AFL. I mean, it, it's just relentless. It is. I think, again, a huge example of why these sporting these sporting organizations shouldn't really be going into social justice causes you know um they they should be focusing on their sport we saw this with with companies um who are you know going into social justice saying we need to do this you know with the with the rings the incomplete rings represent you know the lack of same-sex marriage, for example, by Qantas, you know, going into, straying away from their purpose and going into all these unnecessary things that they shouldn't be focusing on. Ultimately, it's they who will suffer, I think. Um, it's, well, it, yeah, I think I'm hoping it's they who will suffer, ultimately. Um, these are people who have influence over society, who have influence over children, especially with the AFL. These are organizations, institutions who have influence over our children. And when they support things that I think I mean, being nice is one thing, but full-on supporting particular things is something else. You know, nothing wrong with being nice, but you know, going going overboard is something that should be concerning. And these can influence our children into doing things they might not want to do. Um, so, you know, I think we need to be careful that. With, with these institutions, they continue to be infiltrated by these left-wing social justice warriors who want to change their branding, change their appearance and try and appeal to this loud minority and ignore the majority, ignore all of us, ignore us, ignore the normal people. And I think that's quite, it's quite sad, really. And let's not forget, you know, what happened with their diversity officer, a position which I think shouldn't exist in the first place. Yeah. I mean, he king hit uh, somebody on the, the football field yeah. uh, and the AFL, they stayed silent for a number of days until the tribunal yeah. handed down a life ban and he, re he resigned. Uh, uh, Ali uh, Furrah, who we should know is uh, the brother of the Australia Post CEO yes. with the obscene uh, salary, Ahmed Fulkul. Yeah who Australia Post, they sponsored the AFL multicultural program. So in in a sense, like Ahmed, he subsidized his brother's salary. Yeah. And so the AFL said like, oh, you know, we accepted your resignation. Oh, but, you know, he's uh, a really, you know, like good guy and he shouldn't be judged because of these actions. And uh, you remember, of course, uh, one of Australia's, oh, there's so many regressives, uh, Basha Hooley, Richmond player who King hit. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I shouldn't say King hit. Uh, uh, you know, elbowed somebody in the the face. He said that he would trust uh, Ali Fahul with his life, and it was it was it was just exposed like his hypocrisy. Like they virtue signal about all these issues, yet when one of their own, you know, does the wrong thing, they you know try to protect them as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, first they they have these positions, and they they're trying to promote 
a a religion and a political um, force. It's both. Islam is both. Um, by having these diversity officers and trying to, you know, virtue signal about it and trying to support a religion that has no place in this country. Um, and second, you know, it just got revealed. They got exposed. Um, they it just showed that these people are hypocrites and these people are. You know, they pretend to be peaceful, they pretend to be tolerant, but it's next minute, it's they who are the ones who are the most violent. Just with the, It's the left. It's the left. That's why you expect the left. You know, they pretend to be these tolerant, peaceful, compassionate people, while the next minute, the moment you turn, turn, you turn your eye and they do something, that moment they start to reveal their true colors. Um, and that is what we've been seeing from the left for all these years, you know, shootings, riots, everything. And, you know, this is just another example in Australia where this is happening. And, you know, just because to show that you shouldn't have, you shouldn't be having these divisive policies in the first place because you only, you only contribute to, you know, ruining the game's reputation and ruining society's cohesion as well. It's funny, Bill Shorten says that inequalities ruin social cohesion, but it's actually these ludicrous policies pro and programs that result in a turbulent, result in turbulence in, in society. And the AFL have also caught criticism for the false resignations of two of their executives for um, having affairs with two, you know, female employees. Most people are saying, well, you know, it's it's got nothing to do with their, you know, job. Why should they have, you know, had to resign? Like, even though, like, obviously adultery, you know, is immoral and shouldn't be endorsed, but, you know, is it a, a sackable offence? And uh, I, I made the point that it, that it seems to be the the AFL, they don't like uh, their employees having heterosexual relations, but they seem to be encouraging them to have homosexual relations. And that maybe if these two executives, maybe if they were Muslim taking second wives, the AFL would be okay yeah. with that. Exactly, exactly. I mean, again, a religion that promotes not just that, but promotes pedophilia, okay? Its founder practiced pedophilia, you know, consummated a marriage with with a girl who was nine years old. Um, and they, they, they promote that. They celebrate that. Um, and, you know, I wonder, you know, I wonder if it was, you know, an Islamic, if two Islamic people who, who were having, or an Islamic person having an affair, that I'm pretty sure they would have used the religion card, the diversity card, and said, you know, oh, it's Islam. That's how it is. I wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, if they did that, then, it, well, it doesn't matter because, you know, it's exactly what's happening right now, isn't it, with the diversity. Mm. Oh, yeah. Imagine if they were having, like, homosexual affairs, like, and the AFL sacked them, they'd be accused exactly. of homophobia. Exactly. That's the society we live in right now. Yeah, but the, the main thing is that sport and politics shouldn't mix. I mean, you know, yeah. I follow politics for a living and, like, I follow sport to, you know, get away from politics. This is an outlet for yeah. me. I just want to, you know, focus on the football. That's what most people want. We don't, you know, want to be, you know, lectured to, uh, you know, at the football about these, you know, various social issues, especially since the AFL itself can't get its affairs in order. Yeah, I mean, sport is something, you know, sport and the arts are something that people get to, to ensure, well, to, to, to get out of life, and to just escape from life and sort of be happy. You know, we are living in a society that is quite divided in many ways and sport is there that can help people unite in many ways, you know. Um, but now that this these issues are creeping into sport, it's going to make things even worse. And as I mentioned earlier, the game is ultimately going to be ruined if these people, if these institutions are going to ruin continue having these programs, they're just going to ruin the game for the people. Yeah, definitely. 
Uh, well, that's all we've got time for on today's show. So thank you once again, Suka, for being my co-host. It was my pleasure. Uh, and as always, the usual reminders apply at the end of the show. If you haven't signed up to the email list, please do so at the unshackled.net subscribe. Uh, please consider uh, supporting the work of The Unshackled by becoming a patron on Patreon. Uh, Unless, of course, uh, we get banned from Patreon, like Lauren Southern did. We did yeah. uh, publish an article critical of Patreon just this week. So, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> let's hope they leave us alone. We have arranged some uh, awesome benefits for people who support us on Patreon, so make sure you check that out. There's Unshackled Merchandise uh, for sale at uprightmarket.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can do so on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or view the video version on YouTube. And of course, don't forget to keep checking the unshackled.net on a regular basis for all the latest news. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you next time.